way for the introduction here, I guess. Good morning and welcome to our second service. On Sunday mornings we have two services. The first is our Bible prophecy update, and the second is the sermon where we're going through the Bible, book by book and chapter by chapter, and verse by verse. And we're currently in the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 today. Our text is going to be verses 23 through 29. And if it seems to you like we're not in any hurry to get through Hebrews chapter 11, that's because we're not in any hurry to get through Hebrews chapter 11. Okay. So for those of you that are here, if you're able, I'll ask you to stand. You can follow along. If not, where you're seated is fine. I'll read. You can follow along beginning in verse 23. Been really looking forward to this today. We're going to talk about Moses. Can't wait. But first we're going to talk about mom and dad. Verse 23. By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, verse 24, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, verse 28, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, verse 29, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Let's pray, if you would please join with me, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time together in His Word. Loving Heavenly Father, we're so, so grateful to You for Your Word, and for this time that we devote on Sunday mornings to Your Word in this passage, this portion that we have here before us in Your Word. Lord, that's why we're here today. We're here because we are hungry, we are thirsty, we are needy, we are desperate for You, knowing that only You can satiate that hunger and that thirst that we have. Lord, I am keenly aware that with everything that's going on in the world today, there is just so much stress and pressure and so many that are really struggling and just the difficulties of the days in which we're living. But You, O oh Lord, You are our sanctuary. You are our rest. You are our shield. Your Word is a shield. 
And so, Lord, we've come to this place today because we want for you to minister to us as only you can. So, Lord, would you speak into our lives, in and through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So, I want to talk with you today about the choice that every single one of us face, seemingly on a daily basis, sometimes a thousand times a day, when it comes to choosing faith over fear. And this because the writer of Hebrews focuses the reader's attention on Moses, and the common denominator is that of not only Moses, but his parents choosing to trust God, to have faith and not be full of fear. Because the truth be made known, you cannot be full of fear and full of faith at the same time as one or the other, either or. I'm either going to be filled with fear, or I'm going to be filled with faith. And here's the thing, and I think it's going to become abundantly clear as we get into the text today, the choice is ours. The choice is ours. And we're faced with said choice all the time. Are we going to choose, choose to trust God in this situation? Or are we going to give in to fear, the fear of man, which is a trap, the fear of man? Or are we going to trust God and by faith believe God at His Word, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on around us? We have before us five accounts. I'm going to call them by faith accounts. Five faith facts. Oh, I like that one better. These are five facts about faith. By faith, this is what they did. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is inspired by the Holy Spirit to record these five by faiths. By faith, by faith, by faith. Not fearing. Because when you look at what they did in the situation they were in, they had that choice to make. Do we give in to and fall prey to fear, or do we just trust God by faith? The first one is in verse 23, and it really kind of sets the tone for the rest of them. Faith conquers fear. Now, here we're told about the mother and father of Moses when he's first born. And you know the account, when Pharaoh catches wind of this, he is now threatened by the numbers of the Hebrews, fearing them, which by the way, that's, let me parenthetically say, maybe somebody needs to hear this today. The enemy is more afraid of us than we should ever be of him. But see, he doesn't want us to know that. So he tries to give us a spirit of fear, but God's not given us a spirit of fear. 
But he, he, he tries to deceive us into believing that we're to be afraid. Not mom and dad, not here. See, the edict had been issued and they were to take every single one of these male Hebrew baby boys. That's the redundancy, males or boys. Okay. Well, you don't know anymore these days, but <laughs> maybe it's good I reiterated that. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long week. Just bear with me. All of the Hebrew boys were to be cast into the Nile to their certain death. But God had them by faith hide this boy, because this boy was going to grow up to be the deliverer of God's people out of Egypt. So by faith they hid him. And please don't miss this, because the writer is careful to point this out. They hid him, not fearing Pharaoh not fearing the edict. Dare I say, not fearing the new restrictions. There, I said it. <laughs> if you fear man, you won't fear God. If you fear God, you can't fear man. This brings us to our second one. Very interesting, verses 24 through 26. Faith refuses. Again, this is a choice. Futility. Here again, the writer is careful to point out how that Moses knew pleasures and treasures in Egypt, and there were pleasures and treasures in Egypt. He knew they were futile, which is why he chose, he chose this. He chose to be disgraced for the sake of Christ, as we're going to see next. Seeing the unseen, which is what I want to spend some time on in verse 27. This is what faith does. It sees the unseen. I don't know if it's possible to overstate the importance of what we're told here in this verse concerning Moses, leaving Egypt by faith, stepping out by faith. Notice first that we have the fear factor again, because the detail the writer includes is that he did not fear Pharaoh. Everybody feared Pharaoh, not Moses. Why did he fear Pharaoh? Because he had faith. What was his faith? Oh, he had faith and he even persevered because he was able to see the unseen through the eyes of faith. And is that not what faith is? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, strong word, the evidence of that which is yet unseen. It's seeing through the eyes of faith. It, it, I have evidence. I don't see it, but that's where faith comes in. By the way, sight is the antithesis of faith, just as is fear the antithesis of faith. See, the problem we have is that we want to walk by sight, not by faith. 
I want to see it. Right? Because after all, seeing is believing. Well, it's the opposite when it comes to our faith in God, because it's not seeing is believing, it's believing is seeing. See, I believe in the unseen, and by faith I can persevere, even though I don't see it. I'm walking by faith. I'm not walking by sight. I mean, my flesh wants me to walk by sight, because after all, I can see it. That's safe. Not faith. Faith is risky. Faith is uncomfortable. You have to understand that when he left Egypt, he left everything he knew, and everyone he knew. And he would spend the next 40 years, not just in the desert, but the backside of the desert. You know it's bad when it's the backside of the desert, not just the desert, for 40 years. Actually, the life of Moses can be divided into three uh, sections of 40 years each. The first 40 years brought up in the ways of Egypt, learning the ways of Egypt, the wisdom of the ways of Egypt. And then the second 40 years, he's in the backside of the desert, long time. It's so long that by the time God appears to him behind the burning bush, could you imagine? You've been out in the backside of the desert, not the front side. Remember now, this is the backside of the desert for 40 years. And then God appears to you and speaks to you from a burning bush. And you haven't, I mean, for 40 years, all you've been talking to are sheep, probably. Yeah. So God appears to Moses. And first thing he says is, you better take those sandals off because you're, you're standing on holy ground. And then God calls him. And this would be his calling for the last 40 years of his life, where he would lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And it's kind of interesting. And there's a, a there's debate amongst Bible commentators. But of course, I always see the humor in it when God calls him, like everyone else before him and after him, he argues with God about the calling that God has on his life. You know, like, God, you've pulled the wrong file. I'm not your man. I've been here for 40 long years, you know. <laughs> and in the process, I've developed a speech impediment. And so, you know, I just cannot you know, talk, because I've been talking to sheep all the time. <laughs> and he tries to get out of it. And he's not alone. He's in good company. So did everybody else. So God says, no, you're not getting out of it. In fact, if you've got a problem with this, then just have Aaron speak. And that's why throughout the Old Testament, you'll always read these words. And God commanded Moses to have Aaron speak to the people. So I don't know what, what happened. I mean, maybe he just couldn't actually talk very well. Maybe it was a speech impediment. Don't know. But for 40 years, he would be on the backside of the desert, leaving all of the treasures, all of the pleasures, all of the comforts, I mean, fast internet speeds. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in, bring it closer to home for us. And by faith, he would leave 
and he would go into the unknown and persevere because he would see the unseen. This is faith. This is what faith does. This is what faith looks like. We say it like this, don't we? We stepped out in faith. That's good. That's fine. Because faith does require us to step out. I mean, I don't, I don't see it, but I trust you, Lord. I, I don't know, but you do, Lord. <laughs> so I'm just going to trust you, Lord, and walk by faith. And the writer of Hebrews has already written this, and it's one of really the highlights of the entire letter. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Meaning that we can please God by our faith. So if it's impossible to please God without faith, that means it's possible to please God with faith, right? I'm always struck by the accounts in the Gospels where it was like Jesus would stop everything and take note of someone who had faith or the lack thereof. I think about when he went to his hometown where he grew up, Nazareth, where my grandmother was uh, from, born and raised in Nazareth. And we're told that he couldn't do many miracles there. Why? Because everybody looked at him and said, ah, that's Joseph's kid, man. That's Joseph's adopted kid. That's, that's the kid we'd always see running around. He's the son of God. He's going to, he's going to, he, no way. And he couldn't do anything. They didn't believe. And so his hands were tied. And don't we do that? We tie the hands of God's blessings in our lives with the ropes of our unbelief. I think of that man who said to Jesus, man, this guy, can't wait to meet him. He's going to be in heaven, you know. He, he says to Jesus, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh, that's me. That's me. Help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I, 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 I do have faith, but help my unbelief, because I am so prone to not believe by faith, not trust you by faith, not step out by faith, because my flesh wants to play it safe. My flesh chafes at the notion of faith. My flesh chafes at the notion of trusting God when I don't see it. No, faith is seeing the unseen through that lens. This brings us to verse 28 and our fourth one, which really ties in together. And I know this sounds like a firm grasp of the obvious, but faith trusts God. Now, kind of picture the scene here with me, because it's the account of when in the Exodus, that 10th plague, God says to take a lamb and inspect that lamb for four days to make sure that it's without blemish. And then at the exact time on the fourth day, 
You're to take that innocent lamb and you're to slay that lamb and you're to take a hyssop branch and you're to dip it into the blood of that lamb and you're to put it on the doorposts of your house. By the way, we've talked about this often in the shape of a cross at the top and there was a basin at the bottom, at the left, at the right. So that when the angel of death came, and it did, it would pass over that house, because it had the blood of the Lamb. Now, this is one of those places in God's Word where you just kind of read it, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait a minute. Let's, let's think about this for a second. What if you were there? Now you've just witnessed the prior nine plagues, which you got to know that was, I mean, maybe it's just me, but that would have been really cool. <laughs> By the way, every single one of those plagues was a god of the Egyptians. They had, some believe, over 3,000 gods. Uh, they, they actually, my favorite one, you'll, you'll know why, uh, was uh, the, the, the frog god. They worship, yeah, not farag, frog. They worship frogs. It's like God's like, you like frogs, do you? I give you frogs. And they, they in the stench anyway, I, I don't want to go on and on. The Israelites witnessed every single one of those. But now we're getting personal. Uh, we're not dealing with locusts and the Nile turning to blood or the frogs and all of those things. Now we're talking about my firstborn son. That's on a whole different level. So you're telling me that when, not if, when this plague hits and the firstborn son will die when it does, unless I have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of my house. That's faith. You see where I'm going with this, right? They put their faith, watch this, they were saved by grace through faith in the blood of that lamb on their doorposts of their house. That's faith. It took faith. Could you imagine that household? Come on. Really? You're kidding me, right? You mean to tell me that I got to take this lamb, inspect it for four days, which by the way was the number of days that Jesus was on trial, found to be without sin, without blame. And then on that last day at that hour, which was the exact hour and day that Jesus was slain as the Lamb of God, that I'm to take that blood of that lamb and I'll be saved. I don't see it. That's what, why it's faith. Trust God. You know, it's sad because just trust God is so cliche now, right? Just trust the Lord. Oh, just, just trust the Lord. Just trust. Don't you hate it when somebody says that to you? Like, I didn't know that. Oh, just, hey, JD, just trust the Lord. Okay. Do you know what it means to trust the Lord? You're trusting the Lord with your life. Let me illustrate it this way. 
Think of it like this. Okay, we put our faith in the Lord. We're trusting in the Lord for our salvation. Okay. In other words, we're trusting that on that day when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the rapture to meet the Lord in the air. We're trusting the Lord for that, to live forever, for all eternity with the Lord. We're trusting the Lord for that. And we're not trusting the Lord for this month's rent. I don't mean to be snarky, but think about that. I'm trusting God for that? I believe by faith that's going to happen. But I can't, I can't trust God for this? But I'm trusting God for that. That's what faith is. Faith trusts God. This would have required faith on their part, and it would be that which they would be saved because of. Okay, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to put our faith in the shed blood of this Lamb for our salvation. We'll talk more about that in a moment. This last one in verse 29. And this is a biggie too. I mean, they're all biggies, but I want to spend just a little bit of time on this one as well. Faith moves forward. This is where God's people now having been delivered out of Egypt. They're fleeing Egypt, and they're in a hurry, by the way. Oh, by the way, they also took a lot of spoil and gold and treasures. And I mean, where do you think they got the gold to make that golden calf when Moses was on the mount getting the law? Where do you think they got the idea to make that thing? That was uh, what they did in Egypt. Spence said that God delivered them out of Egypt, but He had to deliver the Egypt out of them. And by the way, Egypt is a type of the world. So here the writer is providing us this detail about how by faith, and here's the fear factor again. I mean, you got the Egyptians right there, and they crossed over on dry ground through the Red Sea by faith. <laughs> it's quite a, I know you all saw the movie, but uh, I think the book is better actually, the account in the book. It's actually more accurate. But uh, it required faith, and they had to choose faith over their fear. Because again, picture the scene. This is one of those accounts in God's Word where we, we maybe know it too well, and so we just, you know, kind of blow it off, shine it on. But let's just, let's just take a trip back to the Red Sea. You've just been delivered out of Egypt. You're like, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I've been delivered. And then you come to this uh, ocean, huge Red Sea. And then it's not long before you hear the chariots of the Egyptians behind you, coming after you to take you back. 
well, there goes the joy. It's kind of like, you know, in the morning when you have your time with the Lord and you're just, ah, oh, so you praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, you're in the Word, you're in prayer. You're singing praises to God, just a wonderful devotional. And, and then it's time to go to work. So you get in your car, you know, you turn on the worship music and praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then somebody cuts you off. It's an Egyptian. <laughs> Got to watch out for those Egyptians, I'm telling you. And your sanctification flees from you. What happened? You were just thanking God, praising God. And now this, and you know what they said, it, it, and don't be too hard on them because we would have done the same thing. I think we do err greatly when we fancy ourselves as, well, I would never do what they did. I mean, they murmured and complained all the time. Yes, you would have. So they get there. Now they got the Egyptians behind them. God puts a pillar of fire to keep them there. And he got the Red Sea in front of them. Okay, let's see. I, I got a choice now. I drown or I die this way. It's kind of like a lose-lose proposition, right? And they start complaining. It's the first, it's only the beginning. Um, they make this statement, and you have to understand in that culture to this day, how, I mean, this is the ultimate, ultimate, for lack of a better way of saying it. Were there not enough graves in Egypt that God had to bring us out here to kill us? Wow. Really? Let me see if I got this straight. You just watched God do that, those 10 plagues, and you got saved because you had the blood of the Lamb, and you're out here. Okay, you think God went through all of that? I don't want to kill Him that way. I think I'll just drown Him here, <laughs> or have Him killed by the Egyptians here. <laughs> now, again, you'll forgive me for seeing the humor in this, but Moses is told to put his rod out, and the Red Sea parts. I, I wonder, you could have heard a pin drop. They're like, oh wow. <laughs> this is what I call Red Sea clear. I think God wants us to go this way. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I think this is the will of God. <laughs> you think? But not so fast. Wait a minute. Um, maybe we're going to get in the middle of this thing, and then God's going to kill us there, because then He doesn't have to deal with graves, because we're all in the... <laughs> Do you think they thought that? I would suggest that they did, otherwise the writer of Hebrews would not have included this by faith account in this chapter. Because he just got done telling us, by faith they crossed over. In other words, they had to, by faith, get in there. <laughs> I wonder, again, I know you saw the movie. It was really the, the waves. <laughs> by the way, I got to, I might as well share this, why not. My uh, sister works at Paramount Movie Studios, where they filmed the Ten Commandments. 
And so uh, she took us on a tour around and, and she showed us where that scene was filmed. I hate to ruin it for you, but I'm going to ruin it for you. It was in a parking lot up against a huge building where one of the studios were, and that's where the waves were. And it's kind of like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have seen that, because I mean, it was really good in the movie, but that's where it was filmed, in a parking lot. So next time you watch the Ten Commandments, it was a parking lot in a big building. But those waves were really tall, right? And they walked through on dry ground. Now, there are those who take Christians to task concerning the Red Sea miracle. And it was a miracle. So, you know, it was actually the Reed Sea, and it wasn't really a miracle because it was shallow, and there's sometimes high winds, and it will, you know, make the water go up. So they could have conceivably crossed over that way. So anything to dismiss God and the mighty miracles of God. So have fun with this, if anybody ever does this to you. Just say, wow, I'm really impressed. That's even a greater miracle. Because what you're telling me then is that God drowned Egyptians in what, three inches of water? <laughs> okay, here's where I'm going with this, or at least trying to go with this. They had to choose faith over fear, because fear is hot on their tail. And isn't it true that fear is always hot on our tail? Faith moves forward. Faith moves forward and trusts God. And by the way, faith also trusts God for the miracle. That's a miracle, right? Are we good? That's a miracle. When was the last time? I just want to ask this in love, and the Lord knows my heart. Again, I don't mean to be snarky, and I, I speak of myself when I say this. When was the last time you trusted God for a miracle? I'm not talking about, yeah, that was, that was probably a miracle. No, th there was no mistaking this. This was a miracle. No matter how you slice it or dice it, God did that. When was the last time you asked God to part your Red Sea? You don't believe He'll do it? Why, why wouldn't He? Do, do you think He, there weren't enough graves in your Egypt? He's bring, brought you to this point to kill you? Do you know how much He loves you? Romans 8, the Apostle Paul, I mean, it's the way he words it, I know by the Holy Spirit, but it's really perfect because he says, if God would not withhold His only begotten Son, whom He gave to you because of His love for you, is there anything He would withhold from you? If it's good, God's going to give it to you. If it's good and for His glory, it's a done deal. When was the last time you trusted God for a miracle? I mean a miracle. You know it's sad? I just, I need to, just bear with me. The word faith movement has done so much damage in this regard. 
It's this notion of name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. Just speak it. And if you have enough faith, I think it borders on blasphemy personally. But you know what the enemy has accomplished with that? is He has gotten us as Christians to distance ourselves as far away from that as we possibly can. And we go to the other extreme. And we throw the proverbial baby of faith out with the bathwater of that false teaching. No, faith moves mountains. And you don't need a lot of it either, by the way. You just need a mustard seed sized faith. And he can say to that mountain, whatever that mountain is, you fill in the blank. A wayward daughter, a prodigal son, a cancer diagnosis, whatever it is, a financial reversal and hardship, whatever it is. With a faith the size, microscopic size of a mustard seed, you can say to that, you uproot yourself and you get out. You cast yourself into the sea. You can say to the koalas, you cast yourself into the sea. That's, that's all that is required. If it's for God's glory, didn't Jesus say that if you'll ask anything in my name, I'm going to give it to you, if it brings glory to the Father? That's the qualifier, by the way. If God's going to be glorified in it, then God's going to do it. But here's the problem. There are prerequisites, the first of which is to have the faith that He will, believing He can. And secondly, wait for it, you have to ask. You have not because you ask not. You have to ask. I have a, 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 a suggestion. Why don't you ask the Lord to do something that is just, I mean, <laughs> impossible, and just believe Him and trust Him and by faith, ask Him. And then just, and then, and then wait. Because after the, behold the salvation of the Lord, after the Red Sea is parted, God says, stand and behold the salvation of the Lord. I'd like to, it's a very loose paraphrase, but it's, this is how I, I interpret it. You ask by faith for a miracle that big? Okay. Watch me now. Watch what I'm going to do. Can I say it like this? We have a big God who wants us to trust Him for big things that only He can do. Remember that story that was told about uh, I want to say it was, um, what was that, uh, that guy that conquered and ran out of, uh, was it, um, uh, 
it flees my, I should have had it. Um, but he was a king. And one day a year, he would let any of his subjects come to him and ask him for anything. And so they would come and they would usually ask for, you know, livestock or, you know, supplies or money or whatever. And on this one particular day of the year, um, this guy comes up and has the audacity to ask him for this huge mansion. And I wanted to have a huge banquet hall for all of my friends to have huge feasts. And I want all this land and I want all of it. And he just, he starts reading the grocery list. And you could just imagine the people, this is a true story, by the way. You could just imagine the people standing there going, the nerve of this guy. I mean, everybody else just comes in and asks for next month's rent, maybe six months worth of rent, if there's not too much trouble. This guy wants, I mean, he's like, hey, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. And he grants it. He says, here, I'll give it to you. Everybody's going, what? Is this a joke? No. He said, for the first time, I was asked to do something that I, as the king, can only do. This is the first time I actually felt like the king I am. Only I could do that. Anybody else can give whatever these other people are asking for me. It's kind of like, I almost picture God in heaven just waiting at the ready for us to come and ask Him for big things. Red Sea partings. And He's got the whole heavenly host on standby. Here He comes. You guys, get ready. JD's going to pray. Okay, shh. Here's my prayer. Lord, please help me find a parking spot at Costco. <laughs> it's like God's going, okay, do we have, we have an intern. Get him down. He's a parking spot. Just give him the park. Here I had all of this. I would have just at the asking, at the ready to give him. But he didn't ask me for it. So he just wants a parking spot, I guess. Hey, the person that's parked in that parking spot can give me that parking spot. Why don't I ask God for something that only He can do? Because only God can part the Red Sea. Well, if you'll kindly allow me to, I, I never pass up an opportunity to talk about typology. And such is the case with Moses. In fact, Moses next to Joseph is probably one of the most beautiful portraits painted of the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. So I'm going to, in the interest of time, I won't go through all of them, but we do have the PDF file you can download. Uh, I don't know how many there are here, but I'll just go through some of them. How Moses is a type of Christ. Moses is a picture of Jesus as a deliverer. The first one. Moses was saved from death in Egypt as an infant. By the way, I have all the scripture references as well. Just as Jesus was saved by fleeing to Egypt as an infant. By the way, can I just real quick uh, give you the why behind the what? Do you know why it is that Satan has sought to kill 
God's people from the beginning, starting with Cain and Abel? Because see, the Savior had to come through the, the seed of the woman. That's the virgin birth. And Satan is not omnipotent. He's not all-knowing. So he has sought throughout history from the beginning of time to eliminate that seed line. Because if he could succeed, which he would never succeed, if he could succeed in destroying that lineage, he could thwart the coming of the Messiah. The first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, which he'll do vis-a-vis the Antichrist in the seven-year tribulation. He'll try to destroy the Jewish people. Because it, I know this is going to be a shock, but Jesus was a Jew, just so you know. Okay. So he starts with Cain and Abel. Fast forward to Pharaoh. Let's try to eliminate, exterminate all of the Hebrews. So cast the boys into the Nile. Fast forward to the book of Esther. Man, remember that study? Whew, I love that book, man. Um, an antichrist type by the name of Haman, who wants, who gets the king to issue an edict to to kill all of the Hebrews. And then Esther via Mordechai, for such a time as this, they are saved. But he's tried throughout. Fast forward to when Jesus is born. Herod has all of the male Hebrew boys butchered. I mean, I know it's graphic, but that's demonic. And then fast forward to Hitler. What is it about Haman, Herod, Hitler? They all start with an H, I guess. I don't know. But um, Hitler, same thing. Because if you can eliminate, exterminate the Jewish people, then Jesus can't come back. Because at the end of the book of Revelation, the Jews will call for Him to come look upon Him whom they pierced. And that's the second coming, when we come with Him, 10,000 by His side. Moses became a prince of Egypt. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Moses went from being a prince to a pauper. Jesus went from being God to being man, fully God, fully man. Moses was rejected by his people. Jesus was rejected by Israel. Moses fled to the Median wilderness before delivering them. Jesus retired to the wilderness before His public ministry. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Moses delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. Jesus delivers us from slavery to sin. This one's interesting. Moses delayed his coming down from the mount. Jesus and his followers are mocked for him seemingly delaying his coming. Where is the promise of his coming? Moses gave the law from a mountain. Jesus gave the new law, the new covenant from a mountain. Moses parted the Red Sea. Jesus calmed 
the Sea of Galilee. With Moses, the people turned back again in their hearts. With Jesus, we're told, many went back and walked with Him no more. Moses, lastly, freed them through a lamb whose blood was shed, a lamb without blemish, the Passover lamb, which Jesus fulfills as the Lamb of God and frees us through His own blood as the Lamb, the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. This is why I know God's Word is true. You think man could have come up with this? Come on. Why don't you stand? We'll have the worship team come up and close us in song, and I'll close us in prayer. But before we do, I just want to say to anyone that might be here or watching online. I, you know, I've, I've been very open about my own struggles with anxiety and worry and fear. And I am walking in victory. I want you to know that by the grace of God. It's one of those things where it's, you could say of it, it's easier said than done, right? Easier said than done. Because life hits and life's getting really hard, obviously, right? But if there was ever a time to trust the Lord. That time is now. Things are more difficult now than they ever have been before. So that means that we need to trust the Lord like we have never trusted the Lord before. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for, again, your word. And really it's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing your word, Lord. It, it, it fills us with faith. It feeds us. It nourishes us. It builds us up and strengthens us. Lord, I pray for anyone who's discouraged and really struggling, maybe given over to fear and despair. Lord, I pray that today they will not leave this place the same way they came. Lord, we believe but help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.